Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm your host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm mere feet into a long journey on which I rate and review every single audiovisual property in which Dennis Quaid has ever appeared. And boyfriend ain't slowing down, so neither can I. Let's get into it. Today's Quaid project is 1976's I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Here's the plot summary from IMDb user Molly Malloy. Quote, Based very loosely on the intricate novel by Joanne Greenberg, a young woman's devotion to a childhood fantasy kingdom has taken over her entire life and causes her endless pain and degradation. Placed in a mental hospital, she has the great good fortune to have a truly caring therapist who tries to help her accept reality, even though reality isn't so great either. End quote. My primary association with this property is actually the song, which my mother will inevitably start singing anytime anyone, either in the room with her or on TV or whatever, says the phrase, I beg your pardon. Here's Lynn Anderson to get that shtiz stuck in your heads as well. I beg your pardon I never promised you a rose garden Along with the sunshine there's gotta be a little rain sometime. Good luck with that, and sorry. I did read the book back in the day. It wound up on our summer reading lists one year. Not the choice I'd have made in the English department of a girl's school whose student ranks were literally decimated by eating disorders, among other challenges. That said, I don't remember the actual book well. I do remember being initially titillated by what promised to be a peek behind the curtain of inpatient psychiatric treatment via Deborah, the story's protagonist, and then tired by it. The issue, I think, because it's certainly true of how I felt about the film version of the story, is the fantasy kingdom. We spend a lot of time in it, or watching Deborah straining towards echoes of it in hallways of the hospital, or hearing its characters, most of them dressed like the first slayer from Buffy, manipulate Deborah emotionally, and the story needs to communicate how compelling, how safe and sustaining, Deborah finds that world and how hard it is for her to let its illusions go. But it's never going to be as compelling to the audience as it is to her, is the first problem. Another problem is that one of the princes of this Greco-slash-first people's realm is played by Jeff Kanicki Conaway, gauzily shot and silent movieing all over the place. Danny and Richard Elfman play characters listed on the IMDb as drumming demons, so that's what you're dealing with with that, generally. And the final and biggest problem with this story of hope and healing, qua story, is that while I am not a mental wellness professional, I don't think schizophrenia is cured with kindly Freudian analysis, practiced by Bergen film staple B.B. Anderson, and heavily reliant on the idea that, when reality is allowed in and survived, even celebrated, the fantasies won't be needed any longer. Hallucinations do lend themselves to filmic storytelling, and talk therapy definitely does as well, but the second thing won't make a ton of headway against the first thing from a neurochemical standpoint, which affects overall credibility and from there my investment in the story. In my English major opinion, feel free to at me if I am way off base diagnostically here. So that's the story's issue on its own for me. The other problem isn't the film's fault, but if, like me, you come to it after having seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Ordinary People, Mr. Robot and Undone more recently, and 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 and, 
It's harder to appreciate scene after scene of noisy psychotics tussling with each other and cynical orderlies, or sweater-vested therapists semi-parenting their patients, or disgusting food that's best put to use by the patients throwing it at each other. This is all information we already have, and downloading it again can feel like a chore, and not in the way that might be the point. Rose Garden is not without bright spots. The great Sylvia Sidney throws an entire bed at hospital staff, calls Deborah pussycat, and never exactly lets on whether the myths surrounding her that she spends long periods outside the hospital as a geometry teacher before breaking down again and returning is based in objective truth and the use of maths to underline the difference between what we tell ourselves and what we quote know is smart if sometimes inelegantly done in the dialogue. Here's Sydney bailing out what's probably intended as a tone poem on decompensation but is actually just kind of kludgy writing. Oh no, not another one. I'm higher than a kite already. Over the last 30 years, I've been analyzed, paralyzed, shocked, jolted, and revolted. And here I am again. Maybe I, maybe I need a brain operation. Rennie Santoni, Poppy from Seinfeld, as the skeezy paunch of the male attendants, Hobbs, has a real scumbag energy even to his blocking. Just unlocking a door, he seems like a gropey dickhead. And Kathleen Quinlan, whose line reading of, I don't feel like cleaning up, let's sell the house, gives me life every time I watch her Marilyn Lovell in Apollo 13, is extremely good as Deborah. In a role that calls for a lot of big exteriorizing, she mixes up her choices and doesn't lose the character. That Deborah exists and isn't just her illness or the fantasies she retreats to. Roger Ebert liked the movie better than I, but we both liked Quinlan's performance a great deal. From Ebert's review, quote, It's the skill with which Miss Quinlan and B.B. Anderson follow that thread of characterization that makes the movie work. Otherwise, those desert fantasies and all those feathers and fur might have been fatally distracting. But because Deborah seems to regard them with a sober fatalism, we can almost accept them. And because she never expresses any emotions that don't seem to grow right out of the situations she finds herself in, we always accept her. End quote. That's exactly right. There's a lot in Rose Garden that feels obligatory, for lack of a better word, but Quinlan is listening to the character and the story. In one scene, she's looking quizzically at cigarette burns she's giving herself, as though neither her arm nor the cigarette belongs to her, and it's affecting. The ending is on the Pat and Pollyanna side, but Quinlan's performance lets you feel happy for Deborah regardless. Not least because in her final scenes, on a sunny day trip outside the hospital with her old roommate from inside, she happens upon a baseball game. And who do you suppose is pitching shirtless? You know what this podcast is about, so you've probably guessed that it's Dennis Quaid. His character's name is Shark, and Shark has lines! Here are some of them in this next clip, during which you should also listen for another Apollo 13 alum. What's up? How you doing? Hi. Hi. Come on, who's up? Can I hit one? No. No, sir. Who's up? Who's up? Come on, hey, Shark! Me. She wants to hit one! What? She wants to hit one! Oh, come on, guys. We're playing a practice game here. Tell the little girl to shove up, will you? Fine. 
fine. That's fine. Deborah, I think we should oh, shut up. I want to hit one. I think you should let her hit one. Yeah. No. Shark, how long can it take? Come on. Come on, Shark. Let her hit one. Yeah, let her hit. Okay. All right. Yeah, come on, Shark. Let Clint Howard try to get it in. This is minutes from the end, so Rose Garden is not terribly quady, but before we get to that, let's rate the film itself. Quinlan is very good. Anderson is also good. It's just a very mid-century idea, narratively, of how mental illness is experienced and, quote, cured, and it feels longer than an hour and a half, so 5 out of 10. It won't do any better on the quaidosity front, I'm afraid, although a handful of lines and a whole lot of no shirt aren't the worst things to happen to a rating around here. But alas, I must report that Quaid's pitching form was not great at this juncture. As he's finishing his windup, the camera has to go to a long shot for the actual pitch, and Deborah takes advantage. Oh, little Josephine DiMaggio wants to be in the big leagues, eh? Come on, little girl, let's go. You're cooking good looking, you're really cooking. I want you to look out for this one because it's going to breeze right by you, little girl. <laughs> Here we come. Way to go, you turkey! Throw the ball a second. You gonna let her go? So the future rookie gives up an inside the parker to a girl in saddle shoes, and then turns around and blames his defense. That's not cute, but he looks cute. He does what he can, line ratings wise, with a character who's basically an under five in quarterback princess, and he's on a complete bunghole in defeat. Close though. Two out of ten. Sorry, buddy. Next time, John Boy Walton loses his shit when James Dean dies, and Dennis's Quaid and Christopher work together for the first time in a James Bridges joint that sounds, frankly, really annoying. September 30th, 1955. That'll drop September 27th, 2019. But in the meantime, you can check out the show notes for links to Rose Garden on Amazon Prime, Ebert's full review, and more. And follow the podcast on Twitter at QuaidInFullPod to let me know how you'd rate Rose Garden's quality and quaidosity. And if you're wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered, or you want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode, DMs are open. Quaid in Full is written, edited, and hosted by me, Sarah D. Bunting. Don't subscribe yet? Maybe you need a brain operation? Head to wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up and rate and review Quaid in Full so other listeners can find it. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Oh, you're a real adult, aren't you? <laughs>